All right, today we're going to be um, <clears throat> talking out of uh, John 15. So if you have your Bible or your phone or your tablet or whatever you may have, we can turn to John <clears throat> chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Down in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and have thrown them in the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And number nine, where it really is where we're focusing in on today in verse 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Father, we just come before you. <clears throat> we just ask for our spirit, man, for our ears, for our hearts to be readied hear from your word, to be encouraged, encouraged in your love. Hmm. I know that there's people here, including myself, that just really need to hear this word from you. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this week... My wife and Naomi were out of, uh, out of the state. They were down in Texas. Um, they came back. Um, it, was, it was a good time for them. It was a little hard time for me being uh, on, on daddy daycare for, for Eden. It was kind of tough. But in the midst of that, I uh, also had to prepare for a, uh, a wedding uh, to officiate. and just so happened to be my first one. And it was underneath some uh, different kind of circumstances. Um, and through it, there was a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of love that was being generated and thought about. And uh, one of the things that the Lord was just putting on my heart is this notion of not letting your love grow cold. And I think it's very important for both our spiritual relationships and also for our physical ones to make sure that you know, the love inside of us is not growing cold for the Lord and even for one another. Or one another. Uh, and so what we have here is this, a question. <clears throat> Do you... Love Jesus the same, more, or less, than you did on the day you first experienced his redemptive grace. Alright, so the Lord gave me this question, and um, you know, I could play the pastor card and be like, I love Jesus more now than I ever have. But I want to be real with you, I want to be Dave. We're talking the day, the moment you got saved, your love is like, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's boiling, Right? And I was like, well, actually, I mean, I understand more of you, Lord, than I did back then. Yes, but do you love me as much or less or more? And I'm like, whoa, it's a little tough. Now, you know, I can tell you like aspects of my love have grown deeper, absolutely. But the passion, the allure, the spiritual romance of it all, you know, sometimes things get in the way. 
So I'm asking you, and I'm being very real with you, where is your love with this? When you first came in contact with His grace and you first were saved, think about what the moment was like and what you were feeling and what you were experiencing in those first couple days, those first couple weeks. It's kind of like, you know, I'm seeing all these eyes on me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying this. It's kind of like equated to, think about the feeling that you had when you, if you are married the, on your wedding day. How much love you had and have for that person. And then, you know, the weeks, the months, the years go by. Yes, your love grows deeper in profound ways. But it's a good question to ask to figure out where things are. And it's an important question, and uh, look, don't worry. And if, if, if you are kind of like me, and you're like, well, I'm not exactly sure where the engagement is, there have been other people in the Bible that were going through the same thing. Going through the same thing. Um, the Lord gives us a bit of a, a warning about such things. Uh, in Matthew 24, he says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I'm not saying my love for the Lord has grown cold. and I'm not saying that your love for the Lord has grown cold. But there is a prophecy that the Lord gives forth. And when articulating the end of times, when he's talking about the trials and the tribulation, the famous chapter of Matthew 24. And he says a lot of different things. And uh, one of the things he says is love will grow cold. And it will be because of lawlessness. And so the Lord was just kind of working on me about, you know, making sure that my love does not grow cold before Him. And uh, as I was just meditating and praying about all of this, um, I felt the Lord was saying that there's really two reasons why people's love for Him can grow cold over time. Uh, the first reason was, was largely what kind of hit me when Michelle and Naomi went to Texas. They weren't there. They weren't there. I woke up and it was just Eden and I. Mommy's not there. Big sister's not there. And it was like, whoa, they're not here. And I felt a resurgence of a new aspect of love again. And we have the saying, right? Absence makes the love grow stronger or fonder. And it dawned on me, I was like, wow. Essentially, what happens here is love can threaten to grow cold when the familiar becomes taken for granted and neglected. And I saw that happen in my relationship with my wife a bit, a little bit. And with my oldest daughter. Eden was right there. So it was just like, oh, I just want to hug you now, you know? And I, all the love I have for mommy and for Naomi, I'm just going to pour it out on Eden right now. But it's this notion of that we can take things for granted. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus and his grace can very subtly and profoundly become taken for granted and neglected. We need to always, always remind ourselves of the power of the cross, the power of His blood. And if you're focusing and you're meditating on that, I'm telling you, you're not going to take the love of Jesus and the power of His blood 
for granted. But I'm being real with you. If I'm allowed, there are moments in my life where I've taken it for granted. It's always been here. His blood, his shedding grace has always been here. That's awesome. Okay, now what? Dangerous words. Very, very dangerous words for your family relationships and also for your spiritual one. Can I get an amen in here? Ramon, help me out, bro. Go for the... Now, here's the thing. The, the, the coldness of love that may spring up and can spring up, it's never from him. It's always from us. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, this is God speaking, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? The Lord's love for us never, never, never can obviously grow cold. It's always a situation whereby we are the ones that are allowing the coldness to come up because we're, coming for, we're taking things for granted. He never takes you for granted. He can't. And why can't he? There's lots of reasons why. But one reason is that when Jesus died and was resurrected and then went up to heaven, it says that he now sits on the mercy seat on the right hand throne of the Father day in, day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week doing what? Interceding and petitioning the Father about the love that they have for us. So he's never taken it for granted because he's always, always thinking about it. The purpose at the foundations of the earth and the Lamb of God would be slain was for the very purpose that it could never, ever be taken for granted or neglected. And for all of eternity, the Lamb of God sitting next to the Father, petitioning, petitioning, petitioning about this love. Woo! And we got to get that down deep inside of us again if it has been forgotten. And when I come clean to you guys, maybe that will allow you to be a little bit more honest. So, the second reason, the first reason is this notion of taking things for granted because it becomes commonplace. This is a very, very powerful and dangerous thing. When the Israelites took the presence of God for granted... And they did not go through the holiness ways of stewarding the presence of God. People were killed. That's not going to happen to you when we take love for granted. But there is something very important in not taking things as common. So that's one reason. The second reason is really where the rest of the sermon is going to be going today. Is back to Matthew twenty four twelve, The notion of lawlessness. We have a bit of an equation here. It says, people will grow cold because of lawlessness. Now, we can give some examples of the world of lawlessness. Ah, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, doing whatever you want, stealing, crying, bitterness, all this. I mean, we can go on a whole laundry list of stuff, but that's a little too simple. Lawlessness is actually, I think, more profound and more simple than just examples of what the world has done and what the world does. Um, really meditating on this, I, I felt the Lord just gave me a, a really simple definition of lawlessness. 
Lawlessness equals self-indulgence. The law tells you one thing to do. When you break that law, why do you break the law? Because you want to do what you want to do. Lawlessness really just comes down to people saying, I understand this is the law. I don't want to do it. I want to indulge myself. And I know it seems a little comical, but it's very, very deeply spiritually profound. Speed limit. Speed limit is 55 or 65, whatever it may be. Why do you, let's be real, why do you go over to speed limit? Because either maybe you can get away with it, it's fun, or essentially when it comes down to it, you want to get to where you want to go quicker. You know, going 55, obeying the law is just too inconvenient. Going 65, well, you know, 10 miles per hour faster, I'm going to get there that much quicker. Essentially what it comes down to in a simplistic form, we break law because we are self-indulgent people. Otherwise, you'd be obeying the law, even these little tiny silly things that don't seem to be a big deal. I mean, not to completely hit this over the head with stuff, but the profound nature of this in a very kind of physical way is this. Um, do you know how many people die a year? In car accidents, I'm speeding, drunk driving, breaking the law, lawlessness. Anyone know how many people? 30,000 plus. Everyone hear about the, uh, the opioid problem that's going on in Bucks County and across the country? Yeah, yeah you know how many people die from that in a year? About 18 to 20,000. You have 30,000 people die a year? from car accidents. No one's really talking about that. You have half as many that are dying from drugs. Everyone is talking about that. Why is it that no one is talking about, hey, why don't we all, I know how I can save 30,000 lives a year. Everyone in the country will drive 25 miles per hour except for policemen, ambulances, EMTs, and the fire department. All cars would physically not be able to go more than 25 miles per hour. We would build the engines that couldn't do it, except for emergency vehicles. If I did that, you and I would now be able to see 30,000 more people saved every single year because it would be impossible to break law. Anyone in? Of course not. Why? Because of our self-indulgence. I want to get there quickly. It's that simple. All right. So let's all talk about heroin. 15,000 people, 18,000 people a year die. It's horrible. But perspective, we don't talk about, let's just make cars go slower on purpose. Because we live in the most self-indulgent society. During one of the most self-indulgent time periods in world history. Just to give you some stats. <clears throat> the United States has 3.1% of the world's children. But we buy 40% of the world's toys. 44% of Americans upgrade their cell phones every two years. 
In 2010, we threw away almost 150 million cell phones. That's pretty much every adult. In 1930, the average American woman owned nine outfits. Nine. Nine. One for each day of the week, and probably one if they go out to eat, you know what I mean, like something a little classier, a little nicer, and then one for like doing work at the house. So you have seven for the day, for each day, then one for a special occasion, and then one like, you know, the work clothes, if you're working outside. That's what you had. Today, the average American woman owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. Self-indulgence. The average American house size has almost tripled since the 1950s. In the 1950s, the average size home was 983 square feet. 2013, the average size home was 2,598 square feet. What's also interesting here is the average American house family size, like the amount of people, has been cut in half. So you have less people living in three times the amount of space. Be fruitful and multiply, right? No. Um, another interesting one on self-indulgence, Americans spend $24 billion each year to store their things. Uh, that's 2.3 billion, billion square feet of storage units. The average house has 300,000 things. Just let that sink in. Just take your staff and your sandals with you, right? 300,000 things. We have so many things that we need storage facilities. Uh, it is estimated that more than 30% of edible food goes to waste in the United States, a uh, cost of approximately $161 billion. <clears throat> Some other stats which I didn't have cool flashy graphics for. The United States is about 5% of the world population, but yet we can consume 30% of the world's energy. Uh, when I was teaching economics at a, at a university, uh, one of the studies that we looked at is the Western standard of living, particularly the American one, and here is the reality. China itself, just China, cannot live like the average American. They can. Uh, and we're not talking about economics, we're not talking about because they don't have enough money. We're just saying, like, if, say, they had lots of money, they cannot because literally, literally, the world, the earth itself, cannot produce enough beef for the Chinese population and there literally are not enough minerals and resources to have two cars per family for 1.2 billion Chinese. The, what I'm saying is it's physically, economically, resource-driven, not possible. The earth does not have enough square footage of, of acreage for cows to be able to eat grass or corn to feed just the population of China if they want to eat and live like we do. That is 
what I'm talking about. And so fine, I'm not talking about, hey, let's all just be like a bunch of hippies and you know, go vegetarian and own like one pair of clothes and all that kind of stuff. But I know that this principle can be true. If you live in a self-indulgent society, particularly the most self-indulgent society in the history of man, it is quite possible that self-indulgence can now leak into your spiritual walk. If you live in a culture of self-indulgence, it's very likely that we'll take that cultural expression and we'll bring it to the Father and say, this is what it's about now. And that's really the point of the message today. Has self-indulgence entered into your spiritual walk? We live in an environment where there is a norm. The norm is a certain expression. So we all do it. But what I'm telling you here is it is an extremely self-indulgent expression. Extremely. But we don't question it. We don't think it's bad because everyone is doing it. Right? We don't, we don't question it. And, you know, that's for another message. It would probably be better if it was like one-on-one. -on -one. We could talk about maybe your own, your own personal self-indulgence, my own personal self-indulgence. i got plenty. But for now, I really want to focus. Let's make sure that that self-indulgence doesn't leak into your spiritual walk. Because it's bad. What do you mean it's bad? It's bad because Matthew says, by the words of Jesus, lawlessness leads to a coldness of love. And I have already tried to prove to you that lawlessness is essentially what? You doing what you want, which is self. And so what happens here is this. If we allow self-indulgence to leak into spiritual matters, you will be living in lawlessness. And if you are living in lawlessness, the effect will be a coldness of love. That's not me, that's Jesus. Awesome. It's not me, it's Jesus. That's awesome. If you are lawless, you will be cold. Whew. Jesus. Don't worry, there's a redemptive part to this, isn't there? It's like boot camp, we've got to tear you down and bring you back up. So a question, how does self-indulgence and coldness of love enter into your spiritual walk? How does it happen? Like, how do we become lawless? Like, here, here are a couple questions which I'll allow you guys to answer in your own mind and your own spirit, okay? Why do you worship? To feel good? To get breakthrough in something in your life? Because it's what you're supposed to do. Or is it to build an altar of thanksgiving to the God of creation Jesus. who shed his blood to give you life? Make me feel good? Or I'm building you an altar of thanksgiving right now. Because I gotta. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Do we engage in a simple laundry list of wants and needs? Lord, I need this. I want this. I need this. Can you please? Can you please? Can you please? Or are our prayers, Father, let your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let me know the depths of your love. Lord, give me the power of your love and a boldness of the Holy Ghost to share the gospel 
of the blood of Jesus to my family and to my co-workers. Lord, I, I want to be able to lay my life out as a drink offering. Lord, I want to live out. I want to live out Romans chapter 12. Lord, I want my life to be a living sacrifice unto you. Allow me to do this, Lord. Why'd you get saved? I don't know. So I don't go to hell. Okay. Or did you get saved to have a communion and a relationship? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the return Love back to him. See, through all these things, it is a matter of perspective. What is at the forefront of your gaze? The gaze of your heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? Is our spiritual walk actually an extension of self-indulgence by your culture? What is your perspective? When you really break it down, is this all about a God who serves you or a lover who serves his God? This is where we can see where the self-indulgence may or may not come in. All right. But wait, Dave. You're getting too legalistic. Lawlessness and law. I mean, come on. Christ, Jesus, grace, all this good stuff. You're right, brother. Jesus came to end the law, the law of sin and death. He did not come to end law. He came to end the law of sin and death. We're underneath a new law. James chapter 1, verse 25. The perfect law of liberty. Really what it comes down to, I believe, is that many Christians have forgotten that you are under law. You hear it quoted all the time. Well, we're not underneath law. We're underneath grace. Oh. You're taking things out of context. Many Christians have forgotten that you are under law. You do not live in lawlessness. If there was no law, then you would live in lawlessness. You live under law. The question is which law? The law of love. But you're under a law. The law of love. Not underneath the law of sin and death, the law of love. And if you're not living underneath the law of love, you're living in lawlessness, where your coldness of heart will happen. You live under a law. We are under the law, the law of love, which is different than the law of sin and death. Well, what is the law of love? Well, abide in me, and I abide in you. Abide in my love, and now do these things. What are they? Love God the Father with all of your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of love. Well, what is love? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not self-seeking. It is not self-indulgent. There it is. There is the punchline. We're underneath the law of love. Okay, well, how do I fulfill this? Love God, well, okay, and love your neighbor. Well, how do you do that? Very simple, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not self-seeking, it's not self-indulgent. If your prayers are self-indulgent, you're not walking in love. If your worship is self-indulgent, you're not walking in love and you will begin to grow inside of you a coldness of heart because it's lawlessness. You get what I'm saying today? Amen. Let me get the uh, worship team to come on now. 
Don't worry, there's a way. There's a way. There's always a way. Amen? So don't freak out, and I hope the worship team, when you're up there, you can hear me. Because I want you to really get the punchline. So if not, you guys can just, I'll just talk louder, talk directly at you. It's getting hot in here. But I'm not going to be self-indulgent. Because I want to worship the Lord. Unreal, right? It's like literally 73 in here. I'm like, it's hot. <laughs> How self-indulgent are we? 73 is too hot. 70 would be pristine, wouldn't it? So can't we just go over there and hit a couple... You know what? Forget that. Let me just take out my phone, and I can do it from my app. This is how self-indulgent we have become. I don't know. It's too hot. It's an inconvenience. Oh, my. All I know, man, all I know is in Jerusalem probably was pretty stinking hot since it's in the desert. And I'm sure it was pretty hot sitting on a cross and laying out on a cross, taking on the sins of humanity. And of course, going into the belly of the earth for three days where there's the gnashing of teeth and there's fire brimstone. I bet it was pretty hot there too. We need to remove self-indulgence from us. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about make me feel good, King Jesus. It's about I need to build my father an altar of praise. Jesus, Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, we see a people who are dealing with this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, these things says he who holds the seven stars. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. It's such beautiful stuff here. It's like he begins, the church of Ephesus, you're doing such great work. Good works. Good works. You even test, test what the teachers are preaching to make sure they align with the word of God. Wow. And you have, you have persevered. And you have patience. And have even labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. I think we might be getting a little feedback somewhere, maybe the cello. John 15 says, abide in me, abide in my love. It's a call. Then we see in Revelation... A church that was dealing with a problem. The problem is they lost their first love for the Lord. But in Revelation, right here, there's the formula to abide in His love. The scriptures right here says three things that you are to do. Remember, all in verse 5. Remember. Repent. Redo. Repent. Remember. Redo. This is the spirit that is speaking to the church of Ephesus. You've lost your first love. 
You've begun to grow cold. You're doing awesome. You're doing great things. You feed the poor. You go out and you serve people. You're doing all this doctrinally great stuff, but you forgot this. You forgot love. The love of me. So you need to get back to that church of Ephesus because if you don't get back to your first love, I'm going to... Your lamp. Your witness. So do these things. Remember, well... All right, if you have a heart that says, Lord, maybe my heart has grown a little cold. I don't want that to be the case. I want to love you like I did when I first saw your grace. So we need to remember. Isaiah 44, 22. Remember, remember, remember. God speaking. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions. And like a cloud, your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. We need to remember that we were once a sinner, and now we are saved. You need to remember that you were destined for hell's fire and separation from God, but you are now saved from that. Now wake you up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember this, verse 20. You are not your own. Ah, thank you, Lord. You are not your own. For you were bought, bought, bought with a price. Therefore, glorify in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm telling you, when you meditate and you remember from the darkness from which you came from, I'm not saying for you to settle there. I'm not saying for you to be condemned there and to be blamed there. I'm saying is you got to wake up sometimes like, man, I was bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. He gave his life for me because I was yet a sinner, but now I've been redeemed. you got to remind yourself. Revelation then goes on to this next thing that you are to do, to repent. James 4.10. Humble, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I am telling you, when you meditate on the remembrance of what the Lord has done for you, you will be humbled, you will be humbled by his love. You will be humbled by his love. When you meditate on those things which are pure, those things which are holy, those things which are righteous and good, the cross... The scriptures also give another way on how to really repent. If your heart has grown a little callous, a little too cold, do you want to hear what the scriptures tell you what to do or no? You're not going to want to hear it. Annabelle wants to hear it. You're not going to want to hear it because we live in the most self-indulgent time, in the most self-indulgent society, in the history of mankind. So even if you're saved, you're not going to want to hear it. And if you do hear it, you probably aren't going to do it. Alright, here we go, fine. Preach it, sister. Psalm 35, King David, my enemies are around me. I repent before you with fasting. Yes, Lord. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return unto me with all of your love and with all of your heart with fasting. Weeping and mourning. Oh, but we're, underneath, we're not underneath that anymore, Dave. You're right. You're underneath the law of liberty. And the New Testament specifically is talking about how there are times you need to fast. If, if you want to humble your flesh, 
You want to humble that indulgent spirit upon us. Don't eat for a day. And spend that time with King Jesus. And watch how quickly that flesh is just going to... It's going to come down. Can I get a witness with that? You're not going to want to hear it. I'm not talking about fasting your TV and fasting going out to eat and fasting, I don't know, what other, other things people make. I want to fast sugar. Come on. Come on. Let's get serious in the house of the Lord. The Lord is calling forth for a generation to worship him in spirit and truth. He's calling forth a generation that is lit aflame, hungry, hungry, hungry for righteousness. A people who are saying, I am being poured out as a drink offering unto my people, unto my culture. I need to go up against self-indulgence. And the only way to go up against the spirit of self-indulgence is to willingly indulge. Willingly indulging and saying, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to press that down. Press that flesh down. I'm telling you, man. Power in fasting. It's power. Power. Because it goes up against the spirit of the world. It goes up against the spirit of America that just says, buy more, have more. Woo! So the last thing, right? Remember, repent, and now redo the first works. This is to the church of Ephesus. Just that church. So go redo the first works. It was great. We know what their first works were. Because we have a book of the Bible called Ephesians. Which was the first recording of what the church of Ephesus was like in the beginning. So this would be their first works then. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is for you. We need to go back to the first work. The first work is an understanding and a meditation on how much he loves you. And how do you do that? I'm telling you, you do it by remembering what he's done for you. And that you humble yourselves in repentance before him, saying, my heart has grown a little cold. I want to cherish and love you even more, King Jesus. For those of you that have a Bible, if you open up to Ephesians 3.18, I, I want to show you something here. So we just read, may you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Jesus which filled <clears throat> with all the fillings of God. But what we have here is before this edification by Paul to the church of the Ephesians, there's a verse 14. And verse 14 says, for this reason, this is Paul speaking, for this reason I bow my knees 
to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. And what I just want you guys to, to understand here is part of the equation of all this is for me to get on my knees and bow down and ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you the depths of His love. It is also a powerful, powerful reminder if your prayers are self-indulgent, change it up and start praying like Paul prayed for Ephesus. The first works. Fine, you got your soup kitchen. Fine, you're helping the poor. Fine, you're, you got your little theolo theological school in Ephesus. That's great. But you forgot this. Your first love. The first work. Come on. You first get saved. You're not all confused about theology. When you first get saved, you're not all freaking out like, i got to go do this now for the kingdom. No. What are you concerned about? I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. I want to experience and comprehend his love. Paul says, pray for that. Pray. Let your prayer be, Lord, I want to comprehend. Just begin to comprehend the love that you have for me. And I'm telling you, that we in this place, we need to do that. Jesus. So why don't we stand as we close out today? Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I pray right now for a re renewing of our mind. Lord, I pray right now that we can be believers who stand in faith on the promise. A promise, a promise that we were bought with a price. That our life is not ours. It is now yours. Bought, sealed, and delivered by the precious blood of Jesus at the foundations of the earth. Father, I pray right now in this place that there would be a revelation. A revelation of that understanding again. Those first works. The first works of comprehension of your love to stir the flames inside of us again. And the flame, Lord, the flame will thaw out the heart of coldness. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray against self-indulgence in the church. Self-indulgence in this society. If we're going to want to transform a generation, we're going to have to go up against the spirit. The spirit of that culture. And the spirit of that culture is self-indulgence. So, Father, I pray right now a blessing and anointing of the law of perfect law of liberty and love. A love that says, I'm not going to self-seek my belly. I'm not going to self-seek my mind. I'm not going to self-seek my piggy bank. My seek is your face. As the psalmist David says, as God has said unto me, God has said unto me, seek, your, seek my face. And David responds, O oh Lord, my heart shall seek your face. I seek your face. I seek your 
Let us seek the heart of love. Can you lower the piano as I'm talking? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Purge me and cleanse me with hyssop. Purge me and cleanse me with your love. Father, we pray right now in the midst, in the midst of summer, in the midst of work, in the midst of vacations, in the midst of family obligations, in the midst of building a church, in the midst of, of getting things administered and focused and together here, Lord, we pray right now for hearts that cry out to you and that remember their first love. Let's say, oh, oh, I want to experience the depths, the heights of your love again, oh God. Father, we pray. Father, we pray right now against the hardening of the hearts. Let our hearts be tender. Let our hearts be tender again. Tender again. The self-indulgent society has hardened our hearts. But we have been bought with a price. Remind us. Remind us that we are not our own. We are not our own anymore. It's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. Right now, spirit, spirit of love, spirit of revelation, spirit of counsel, come. What we ask for right now is a double anointing, a double anointing of an understanding of your love. Come, come, rend the heavens and come. Love incarnate, come. Love incarnate, come. build our life upon your love we build our life upon your love my upon your love come on let's sing it let's call it down call it down from heaven trust in you alone and I will not be Shaken, I will build my life upon. Yes, it is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Yes, oh. Ah! 
team is going to continue, continue in this song of love, but I want to ask you, this message spoke to you, and if it awoken inside of you, an element of, man, my heart has grown a little cold against my first love, I'm not saying that you've fallen away, I'm just saying, man, it needs to burn again, I want to invite you forward. Because that is a sign of humility. You come forward, and we're going to pray for you. We're just going to pray that you remember. You remember the cost. You remember the blood that has been shed. You remember from where you came to where now you are residing and living in. That He loves you. That you can comprehend that statement that is, that, that is beyond anything that anyone could ever fathom. Pastor Ramon, if you can come on down and help me pray. Josh, maybe after you settle the levels, you can come on down. We'll see who, who wants some prayer. I'm telling you, if you want revival in your family, if you want revival in your community, you need to get revival in your heart. And revival in your heart is letting the cold thaw. Let it burn with the love of Jesus. And it happens when we bow our knees before the throne of grace and ask, let us comprehend the depth of your love. Have a wonderful week. We do have a cafe downstairs. But if you want a touch of Holy Ghost, you want a touch of Holy Love, well, come on down. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful 4th of July.